Welcome to 3AM, the podcast conversation driven to bring the best stories and solutions from social impact superstars to optimize your impact as you disrupt the status quo to make our world better. Why 3AM? According to traditional Chinese medicine, 3 a.m. is the time in a person's daily cycle when the body intersects the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning. The 3 a.m. podcast captures those early morning moments of thinking and planning when these driven leaders awake to wonder what dreams to go after, what next steps to take, and how to fix something that's gone awry. Their stories will help all those who aspire to change the world. In our first ever episode of the podcast, I invited Trina Frierson, 17-time felon and co-founder of Mending Hearts, to tell us how she took her 3 a.m. idea and turned it into a social impact organization that for the past 15 years has served thousands of marginalized women in the Middle Tennessee area. Let's jump in. So our very first inaugural podcast, I am absolutely honored to have Ms. Trina Frierson here, who is in charge of um, making dreams come true for a certain wonderful part of our community. Um, And today I actually had the honor of going to see two more um, of the things that she provides, <laughs> trying to keep this all a mystery, things that she provides for these wonderful people who work very, very, very hard. Yes. So, Trina, thank you for being here. Thank you, Deb. Um, she is the president, CEO, founder, visionary, grand poobah, et cetera, of a 15-year-old organization called Mending Hearts right here in Nashville. Yes. And we met just through, like all Nashvilleians do, right? Yes. Through Through another friend um, who said, you have to go meet this woman and find out about her. And I did. <laughs> and I'm a huge fan. And I am honored that you're here. Um, and so thank you. Thanks for being here. No, thank you, Deb. It's always an honor to be in your company. It's like every time, no matter where we're at, whether it's coffee and an event or whatever, it's like you light up the room for me. And so, like, it's just amazing the energy that you put off to our community. So, you know, we we run into people all the time, but certain people do things for you. And so I'm thankful and grateful that when I see you, you're always depositing something into my spirit. And it's of good. So thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Trina. That's that's a huge compliment. I Thank you. I'm not quite sure what to say about that. (laughs) This is supposed to be about you. So let's turn it back to you. Okay, well, let's start with this incredible story, right, that um, is really the foundational point for Mending Hearts. So I'm just going to let you talk to me about your story. So, so, you know, Deb, I come from East Nashville over on the corner of North 5th and what is now Vernon Winfrey Avenue. You know, I want to say I came up in a decent family home. My mother, you know, raised six of us. She worked two jobs. I wasn't the little girl who got to hang out with their mom a lot because my mom sacrificed and she worked. Uh, You know, there wasn't a lot of drug activity up until I got in my 20s. You know, heroin was back in the 70s, but it was not polluted like we see it today. When I grew up, I grew up from a cocaine factory manufacturing community. And, you know, that turned into a crack cocaine. 
you know, uh, we've seen a lot of ice. And so, you know, I happened to be addicted, become addicted in my 20s. Uh, but, you know, Deb, I wish today that if families would be more open and talk about real issues in our community, not just working and housing and, and, and education, there are some real issues. One of the issues I think that paralyzes people from getting the information is that families have a stigma about talking about diseases and illnesses. And, and you know, we're, we're able to open up about the diabetes. We're able to open up about cancer. But we won't talk about the family heritage that had to struggle with alcoholism or to struggle with medication. We don't talk about that. And so I never got it in my family, and I never knew I had the gene until I got addicted. And so, you know, one of the things I try to do today is because of that, you know, uh, I come from a family, I'm the baby of six, and I got addicted, and it hit three or four of us out of the six with this addiction. And so I've been able to be the first to really transform and break that cycle of the family without any substance. And so I'm forever grateful. But boy, what did it take to get to that point? You know, lack of education, communication and family tables and gatherings, because that's the best place to have communication about issues is at the family table. And so for me, I didn't get that. But today I have those conversations. So for me, being addicted, you know, uh, starting out cool, fun, hanging out, you know, it's like drinking a beer when you start out, you know. But also what I learned through this, Deb, is that my addiction to the drug was not just introduced from a friend on the street. Most drugs are addicted. When you pick up your first use, it's from someone close. It's either a family member or a close friend to the family. It's where you get your first drug of trust from. And so I, nobody ever gave me that information. So I want all people to know, you know, hey, quit worrying about picking it up from the man at the candy store. Let's look in that circle. Where is it coming from? And so my addiction took me on a rampage from drug deals gone bad, being shot three times, you know, two kids being a, born addicted. Um, and I'm a 17-time felon, you know, that they will never remove those marks from my name, no matter what I do. My addiction took me on this rampage in and out of jail for 10 years. You know, uh, I was shot three times, uh, twice in the leg, twice in the private area, and ended up waking up out of a coma three days later, uh, just passed out, not so much in a coma, but passed out, and found out I was six weeks pregnant. And so, you know, I was supposed to, you know, go back and see the doctor and found out that, you know, uh, if the bullet moved one way, it could kill you. Move another way, it could take both of you. Uh, but in addiction, my thought was, is I didn't want to be a parent. I didn't want to be responsible. So I could continue to use, hoping to abort this child. But what happened there is that, you know, I happened to have a relationship with this power greater than me. And, and, and so I think they saw something else that I couldn't see, end up having this baby, leaving it abandoned, neglected, lost all parental rights, I'm in and out of jail. And finally, on my last charge, a charge that they offered at 30 years, ended up lessening to eight. But I bought some weapons, and there was a body on it, meaning that somebody had been murdered with one of the weapons. That's where the 30 came from. Well, eventually, they court-ordered me 
from there to do time to a halfway house. And in that, I was to go to intensive outpatient treatment from 9 to 1, no, 1 to 5. And from 9 to 12, I would have to find a part-time job. Well, I'm a 17-time felon. Don't call us, we'll call you, right? Mm -hmm. That's what all Mm -hmm. the employers said. And so I didn't have family support. No one sent me a care package. I'm grateful the steps I had to take to get where I am. In that house, I walked in that house with women I didn't know. But the day one, there was one woman I knew who were on the streets with me, and we were in our addiction together. She was there. And I walked in that door, Deb, and she said, I said, hey, G-Money, because that's what we called her on the street. And she politely said, my name is not G-Money. My name is Janae. We will not use street names in here. We will use our government name. And I said, holy macaroni, who brainwashed her, right? And she said, we don't use street language in here. So automatic, that transition started to happen. And I seen transformation. Now, I thought she was being brainwashed. I'll tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. But I seen that transformation of her being changed from who I knew she was on the street. And as I continued in there, she would tell me, you need to go over here to get you some food from the food banks. Uh, You might can find you some clothes at this church, but you got to find a job. It's going to be hard. You you might find one at five and a quarter, you know, And, and so... What she said to me was that you can't get food stamp assistance because you're a felon. And I was like, wow. So one of the things that happened was is that I had a whole lot of barriers and hurdles along the way in that transitional house. You know, uh, couldn't find work. You know, but those women gathered around me. Mm. And they said, when we eat, you eat. You go to the food bank and get those boxes. You bring it to them, and that's your contribution. Here's my bus pass. I don't work on this day. You can use man, And it was like a domino effect. Another woman said, hey, I'm off Thursday and Friday. Use my car. Just bring it back. And so they supported me in that endeavor. And as a result, I was able to get on my feet. And so along the way, while I'm getting on my feet, I get calls from jails. Are you really clean, Trina? I said, yeah, why are you asking that? I'm getting offended. But what they're really saying is, Trina, if I can do it, you can do it. Hmm. And so eventually they asked me to come back to speak to jail. I went back out and I was speaking at the jail. And it started like, Deb, it's, it's crazy. Um, I started getting these phone calls and letters. Trina, when I get out, can I come and see you? Will you show me what to do? And I found myself taking a notebook piece of paper, tearing it down the middle, writing down all the resources, and mailing it back to the women in jail. And so the idea was, Deb, is that we need a resource center. A woman needs to be able to come out of jail and not go down to the bus stop where one of the same jokers who picked her up or helped her get here or was in the process of her getting here pick her back up to repeat the cycle. Mm -hmm. If we can get the women picked up at the door and brought to the resource center, there, we can provide the housing. We will be connected with housing, food, clothes, even maybe drug testing and probation off. That was the goal. 
Now, I'm not a writer, and I start writing out things in my notebook, and I showed a friend, and he said, Trina, you have a program. I said, no, Mike, it's a resource center. He said, no, you're just missing a house. Now, mind you, at this time, for whatever reason, God done gave me all these chilling back without my permission. <laughs> and so I didn't sign up for them. I didn't, you know, petition to get them back. I was subpoenaed to court. And, and he Here was they like, are. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I live in a halfway house. We don't take kids. And the judge was so amazing. He said, clerk, help her find somewhere to live. Help her get some furniture to help her and his baby get back together. And I couldn't afford it. And two of my past roommates said, what about we're going to get a big house, give you and your daughter your own rooms, and then we're going to help you pay the bills, and we're going to support you in trying to be a mother to your daughter. And I, I, I get goosebumps now that they had enough in them. Those two women are no longer in recovery. One's dead, one's still out there. But for whatever God set up that triangle relationship for and provided all the love and the necessary things that built the pyramid for my life, I am forever grateful. Yes. You know, my kids are home. They're they're grown. They've all moved out. They're on their own. They're responsible. You know, um, thank God we have conversations about drugs, addictions, and they know, you know, if you get in help, if you get in trouble, here's the help. You know you have the gene. So we don't we don't have to go through that. And so out of that, getting those kids back without my permission, we grew out of space. And so we have my three, now we got Charlotte's daughter who we fought parental rights for her parents to get her daughter. And so, you know, one of the things that happened is we're we're about to move out, and Charlotte said, Trina, why don't you start your ministry here? And I said, no, we need money. we got to do a nonprofit. We need furniture. We need everything. And so there was one girl come through, and she needed a place. She said, there's a first, there's a first woman. Oh, and I was wow. like, so we bring his first woman now, in. Now, just to be sure, so Charlotte is your wife, right? So Charlotte Charlotte's your family. So that's your co- family. And the other co-founder, yes. Okay, got it. And so one of the things that happened is we get in there, and the first month, the women's prison just fill us up. Wow. And so we start working from the seat of our pants. We're going to rent this house. we got to fix it. And so we are working two jobs. We're picking school kids up after school. We've already got their dinner in the car. Then we're going to the cleaning service, and they're eating dinner and doing their homework at the studios that we were cleaning. And then we turn around, and we're going back over to the house to have a meeting at 7 o'clock, and the kids are out on the front porch playing. And so as a result, we get back in, and Charlotte says, this is where you need to start the cleaning service. I mean, programming. I said, Charlotte, we can't. And it was her idea to come up and say, you know, uh, what about all the money we don't need to live on from our cleaning service? We work two full-time jobs plus a cleaning service. And she said, what about the money we don't need to live on? Why don't we use that money to take care of the women coming through so they don't have to worry about rent, fees, food, or anything? And I, <laughs> in my selfishness, <laughs> said, girl, you're crazy. Mm. I just started making legal money. Now you want me to give it away. Mm -hmm. And her reply was, you take care of God's people, he'll take care of you. And I said, man, I don't know about that. I said, but I tell you what, I'm going to try it. And if it don't work, I'm going to blame you. Okay. (laughs) She said, I'll take that blame. (laughs) 
I, I bet she did. Yes. <laughs> I can hear her say that And now. so we did, Deb, you know, and it was like a a good domino effect. Yeah. And 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 we started opening more houses. And probably in the first six months, we ended up having three houses. And so we, for the first three years of Mending Hearts, we financially supported through our cleaning service. And then in that third year, um, like I wrote the first grant to the Community Foundation. And, you know, my hope is that one day I'll finish the book. Uh, but I have that application to the Community Foundation and I looked at the nonprofit that I wrote, and it looks like maybe a fifth grader wrote it. Mm. And I seen Ellen, uh, who is the head of the Community Foundation, mm -hmm. and we were at an event, and I said, I just need to tell you thank you. Mm. And she said, for what, Trina? I said, you know, I look back at the first grant I wrote. I said, I think it was about four or $5,000. I said, you guys awarded us. She said, yes. I said, but when I look back at the grammar and the writing, I said, I don't know how we got awarded. And she said, Trina, we weren't critiquing your writing. We said, we seen the passion hmm. that you had for the mission. And that's why we awarded that grant. So, so is that the magic sauce? So um, to get something, if somebody has this ache in their belly and they just want to know, what what do I do with that? Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me from what you're saying is just f follow it, right? Do it. You know, I woke up uh, in many middles of the night. Even the name of Mending Hearts came through me in the middle of the night. And I remember waking Charlotte up and said, I got it, I got it. <laughs> and it's probably 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. She said, God, what, what? I said, the name. It's called Mending Hearts. And so back then, Deb, I didn't know how to work a computer. She would teach me, I forget, and I'd go try to turn it on, couldn't. You know, I didn't know the brain from the monitor, but, but she taught me that. And so I went to search. I couldn't find it, didn't know how to navigate around it. She searched. She said, there's one in Florida, but it's for kids. Mm. And I said, okay. She said, but it's a dot-com. It's not an ink. And I said, okay, well, that's way in Florida. Nothing in Tennessee. She was like, nothing. And so I said, let's do it. Let's register the name. Let's get it and be done. And so we did that. And, and, and I remember, Deb, even, you know, creating the logo. Mm. The logo, if you look at it, it's two people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think it's me and Charlotte, but it's not. It's showing relationships. And in order to heal or build anything, there has to be a relationship. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Foundational. So, yeah, absolutely. You cannot survive without relationship. Well, I think, I appreciate you saying that. I think the there's a lot of stuff, obviously, that I admire. Um, and I appreciate you recounting your story as well. I think uh, one of the things I truly admire about Mending Hearts is that the homes are right in the place uh, from whence some of these women came, right? Yes, so yes. instead of having it away, it's right there. And so the rebuilding of their own neighborhood, as we saw today with these two beautiful homes, yes. um, that that's just a part of, this is a part of my history, this can be a part of my future. Yeah. So. And one of the things that happened that brought it to life, Deb, is that we didn't have money. 
and we were just looking for things. And I stumbled up on that community by someone else. When they first took me to that community, I said, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. Come on, people. Yeah. I'm trying to get women off drugs, not on drugs. Right, exactly. And so he taught me something very valuable. And what he said for me and to me is that, Trina, you have to look past the rubbish. I said, man, it's debris in here. There's six units. Number two is the only one with a door, and it has power and water. Well, they have extension cords coming out the door and hose pipe to feed the other units. And I said, no way, dude. Nah. But something sent me back. Mm. I went home, woke up out of my sleep, and the next day I'm back over and I'm praying like, okay, God, what, what is this? And it came to me real clear. It's one thing that we want to rebuild women, people, but what about our communities that we personally have helped destroy? And so it came to me clearly that what about putting these women back over here in their community to rebuild what they've destroyed? Hmm. And so that was the theme behind it. It's like, let's rebuild. And maybe we didn't destroy it right there on that street of Albion, but we have destroyed and polluted some communities. Well, I, and I appreciate, I mean, I really appreciate that. That's, that is, it's harsh, but it's so beautiful. I think the other thing I like is when you said um, it was almost like looking at that which was discarded, looking at it differently, yes. which is what li- lives, like the yes. one you've lived, I'm sure that's, that's how it's felt. And I'm sure that's how you feel others look, yes. uh, look upon, right? Um, you've helped over 3,000 women. Yes. And and the concentric circles are much more than that, right? Because <laughs> yes, it's ma'am. families and, uh, I mean, it's just, it, it's incredible. And the community itself. You know, to think about the folks that were at the op- the ribbon cutting today of these two gorgeous homes and, and how it's transforming Albion Street, right, and, yes. and the surrounding area. Um, it also shows the power of people who are bent on... Um, not only making the world better, but having people learn from their lessons as well, which yes. I think is just outstanding. Um, so as you look kind of forward, mm-hmm. um, and I can see the <laughs> smiles now just huge. When I say, like, what's the next thing for Mending Hearts? What are you, what are you guys thinking? So, 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 you know, I have been, um, people say I think big. And, yeah. and, and, and so I never want to minimize the possibility to empower people, which is the women we serve. When we empower the women we serve, we empower the greater community. And so my goal is is that now that we have a four-block campus on one street um, and that we are restoring each house, which allows it to restore the spirits of the women we serve, My ultimate goal before I pass the baton, I would love to, Deb, have some land that I can build some apartment complexes and make it a campus setting that not only women in recovery or women who have been addicted or victimized, but what about the average person? Johnny went to work and he got fired at will. No fault of his own. Well, Johnny got paid his last check. He's trying to figure out, what do I do with it? I've got car note, insurance, light bill, rent. Well, 
his wife hears it and said, my husband just lost his job. I know we owe rent, da, 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 da. Well, tell him to come down here and talk to us because we're just not a management company. We are a resource center. And this is, we start, in, we start engraving women back into real community because they're not just in this housing campus. They're regular people in this housing campus and regular people fall off too. So how do we support our real community as a whole? Well, if Johnny lost his job, Johnny comes in and talk to us. We don't only be collecting your rent and filling out applications, but we have, guess what, a temp service that'll take you in. Well, Johnny, don't pay all your rent. Go pay your car note because you need it to get to work. Let's make sure your lights are still on. Here, go over to the food bank to make sure you get some food. And maybe you just pay us 200 out of this pay period. And next month, Johnny, we'll get you caught up. But we want everything else caught up first. And, and, and you said it. We live and we reside in a real-world community of recovery. People may ride down the street with loud music. They may be turning up a beer. But the, the, <clears throat> the magic behind that is that, you know what, the women get to see that no matter where you go, that's going to happen. I don't want you to out on a farm somewhere or a ranch or a resort, and then you come back to a real-life world, and then you're having a culture shock. Right. So today, what we believe is that, you know what, this is real life. When you go in your community, guess what? It doesn't matter who's next door. It could be happening. Your thought process to be Maybe for them, but not for me. <laughs> right. So the oh, I like that. So um, so the compassion piece for you, and for for you and Charlotte in starting this was just utter belief because you'd walked it. Yes. So I think what I what I love about having you to, to be the first is that rather than just learning about it, it's living it, and it's understanding and having that which which I I don't have. I mean, I can know it theoretically, and I think that that's different for people who want to start a social impact organization. Yes. I mean, I, also, also the barriers that you folks, oh my God, yes. right, were incredible. But the compassion and that, and now thinking outside to the everyday, you know, Joe or Jane or yes. whoever, um, so that the the notion of a transition, a hiccup, mm-hmm. um, a challenge is is something that you are embracing as well, yes. uh, far beyond the 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 this first set of folks that you were hoping to and have successfully helped for a long time. Um, I love the notion. I've heard it before, but that notion of taking the idea, really working it. I re- you were saying today at the ceremony about um, everybody was saying no, right? Yes. And then your councilwoman said, hang on, keep yep. doing going. What you're doing. Keep yes. doing what you're doing, uh, which I thought was just, uh, that's a life lesson, right? Um, and now to move ahead to think about how can I go outside of this community to even help more? Because yes. we're all in this together. I think that's, that's the lesson I've learned yes. from you. We're all in this together. So at this moment, with these with this big goal now, um, what can Nashville do for you? You know, uh, having one of the most beautiful things, uh, and this is not about me, but me being a past participant in someone else's program and serving, you know, the women that I serve today, you know, due to addiction and recovery and being incarcerated. You know, one of the most beautiful things uh, I've seen today is that, you know, I was once behind the bars and incarcerated. And, you know, to be sitting around a table, and I'm about to get emotional, uh, with councilmen, city officials, 
even having judges presented at this ribbon cutting and, and, and to have our mayor in support of what we're doing, Deb, it's, it's unbelievable, but I know it's true because I already pinched myself. But, you know, talking with them, uh, one of them asked the question, so what's next? Uh, you know, there were countless times when I didn't take a paycheck. You know, uh, I've always worked two jobs. <laughs> so, you know, those who are sincere in helping our community, you know, I hope that one day that I can be a true mentor or a, I don't know, instructor to the nonprofit community so that, you know, because what people talk about is the way to do a nonprofit, but what we don't talk about is the hiccups along the way. And when the doors are shut and you get frightened or you become fearful and paralyzed and you don't proceed in the dream, you know, there are going to be many doors shut. You know, there were so many doors shut, but today there's so many more open, you know, and, and those are what we need. You know, this village in Nashville, this city, Deb, has been good to us. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people say we're still a well-kept secret, mm-hmm. and we've been in it 15 years. I know. But this city has been good to us. So let me let me let me let me ask kind of two practical things, and then we'll kind of wrap because I know your debt. You've given <laughs> me so much time, um, and I'm so appreciative of it on this very very celebratory day. So so give me one one maybe more current challenge. Mm-hmm. So for folks who we've talked a little bit about if you have the passion and the dream and the seed and kind of mm-hmm. how to kind of push through all that stuff. Um, but now after 15 years, it's never easy, right? Never. There's going to be new stuff. So just give me one story of a, of a current challenge that you're kind of moving through. So right now, you know, um, with, with, with the opiate crisis and working in this field, and, and, and I don't think it's just the addiction field. I think it's health care alone. Um, Finding insurance to cover people is one issue all by itself. But finding practitioners, counselors to service these people, which is regulated by the state, is a huge challenge. One is because we have some of our for-profit private sector people out there that can hire counselors, nurseries, for double of what a nonprofit can pay. The other is making sure that we have medication to treat the people. With addiction and the drugs that are being used today, Deb, we used to could treat a woman, detox her, send her straight through treatment without going, rushing her to the hospital or the ER to get a medical release, or we can now, because we're full continuum of care, we have doctors and nurses on board, we can, but the medical and mental status after using opiates is so much harsher on the body and the mind than crack would have ever been. Wow. Yes, so hiring the staff, and we put a lot of money into this city for housing, we put it in for addiction, you know, we do a lot of things. But we don't have enough on the caps to hire the appropriate, overqualified, <laughs> qualified, top-notch 
counselors, and it just won't meet the budget. So, so that sounds like, so the question about what can Nashville do for you, that's, that sounds like an opportunity for folks who are still in the game, right, mm-hmm. and, and, and aware of all the current um, issues and practices and, and, and eviden- evidence-based research, but they may, not, they may not need that full-time or that part-time, yes. and they could come and contact you and say, I've done this for 30 years, yes. and now's my time to give back. And yes. to feed my soul and with the expertise and experience that I have. Yes. So maybe. Um, that is exactly it, Deb. So maybe it, that's a way to fill that gap for you folks. Yes, because I, I truly believe that we were not put here on this earth for us. And, and, and while we have to be self-preserved and, you know, uh, care for oneself, I think the ultimate goal is we care for each other. I agree. So, last question. Sure. Because we could go on did forever. I, did I answer your previous question? Yes, sir? I think so. Okay, Yes, awesome. and I learned even more, which happens every time we're together, <laughs> every time. So, uh, the title of the podcast is 3 a.m., and yes. I hear through your story that 3 a.m. caused you to come up with Mending Hearts. Yes. I'm not sure how happy Charlotte was to hear it at 3 a.m. No, at but all. I will let, okay, <laughs> I was, was going to let that go. Yeah. At all. No. Okay, I understand. Um, but what keeps now, what keeps you up at 3 a.m.? It's always money because we're in a nonprofit. But what really keeps me up at 3 a.m. is the disease of addiction to the women we serve. People are not clear on what they are taking. The fake pharmaceuticals, I'll call it, or the street pharmaceuticals have perfected medication to its highest degree. And Deb, I could lay some medication out here today that looks like you picked it up from Walgreens. And so while they're buying Xanax or they're buying hydrocodone from Linda, who gets it from the doctor, what they don't know is Linda is getting it from Leslie over in another county who's manufacturing it in the barn. And so when they're taking it, and while opiates gives you a relaxing feeling and you start to drift off to sleep, you go right on to sleep, but you go to sleep forever. And so those are the things that I have not found a cure for. And uh, while we're in this field of helping, uh, those are one of the things that I can't find a solution to or I can't fix or can't heal. Uh, And it's hard. You know, I pray that we have, uh, I'm grateful that we have great support and staff. But, you know, even with six people standing around, one participant, If we didn't know that she took that medication, she could go to sleep and not wake up tomorrow. So the hardship, while we're fighting for a cure, we don't have a cure. Trina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I think what gets me about you is that even with your journey and even with all that you've done, you continue to to think about how you can do even more and how it continues to touch you. And so that that passion, that drive, that even caused you and Charlotte to say, all right, let's take on this other lady. 
Yes. Um, you, you've grown to over 3,000 women, um, even more for facilities. Now you're thinking about creating the, your own campus, and still you have this other challenge you still want to beat, and it's amazing. Thank you. Thanks for being my first guest. <laughs> Thanks for being mine. You're just the best. <laughs> you're awesome. Thank you. And that's 3 a.m., our first yes. podcast. Yes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> So there you go. A story of how to take your 3 a.m. moment, work it, throw in some sweat, fear, determination, and love to make a difference. You'll hear more of our conversation with access to materials aimed at taking you to the next level. Let us know how we can be of help to you. Go to our website, themacfarlandgroup.com, the M-A-C-F-A-R-L-A-N group, Dot com and subscribe to 3am. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is deb at themacfarlandgroup.com. I'll see you next time on the 3am podcast. Podcast.